Welcome back to another episode, everyone. This is your host, Yavitsa Djurjevic, and today I have a wonderful episode I recorded with one of my friends who I've known for, I guess, a better part of a decade, Taylor Hathorne. We had a super fun conversation, everything from do millennials give to charity? How do they give to charity? Being what's called a third culture kid, which was a super interesting definition. And apparently I am, as I've learned through the podcast, politics and not how to be a jerk. Uh, went down a lot of rabbit holes. It was not very organized, but I think that's what made it enjoyable. I think everybody and anybody listening to this will will get some sort of value out of it, whether you care about how you give to charity or whether you care about not being a jerk with your politics. I think all those things are incredibly important, especially in December and 2020, where probably one of the most important times to give to those in need and probably the most important time not to be a jerk uh, when it comes to your political opinions. As always, give us a five-star review on iTunes. Check out the new website, Manhood Pod. I'm going to get it redone, manhoodpod.com. And outside of that, here's the episode. I mean, I guess we can just like we've already been recording, and I'll just edit that first part out. But Taylor, what's up, man? I'm uh, nothing much. Welcome to Millennial Manhood slash Womanhood today. Thank you. I feel very honored to be a featured female guest on your show. Okay, so first things first for everybody listening, I'll let Taylor introduce herself in just a second. But I want to make it very clear: find you somebody who sends you nice DMs like Taylor sends me ever since I started the <laughs> podcast. Like you were one of the original people who like reached out to me and was like, "I like what you're doing. Keep doing that." And I was like. Good. I don't suck. Thank you. Thank you for that. Man, I just feel like, you know, people need a pat on the back every now and again. And I think that in our society, we are all so self-centered that we um, almost get intimidated by telling other people good job. And I don't subscribe to that mantra. I think the better my friends are doing, it's just a reflection on me for keeping a uh, good company. So there's my uh, one arrogant little uh, plug. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um but seriously, thank you. I mean, that of course. I vividly remember like early on, it, there were few and far in between and you were one of those people who did reach out and I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. I've loved following along. You have gotten some really neat people um, on your podcast. I, I don't remember the woman's name, but the one woman who came on to talk about like uh, diet, you know, diet and health and fitness. Um, she was awesome. Um, just like hearing her perspective. I think she lived in California, maybe. Yeah, she was really cool. And of course, you know, one of my favorite podcasts that you ever did was Adam Roddy's introduction episode. Uh, <laughs> just because knowing you two goobers for 10 plus years, uh, everything that was said there checks out. So yeah, it's about yeah, it, it, it really did start out as a this weird passion project. And like I have a queue of emails in my millennial manhood email of it's it blows my mind because I remember like I literally remember sitting there being like, how in the hell am I going to convince anybody to come on this? <laughs> um, and so that's why my very first episode was my best friend, James. I was like, James, I need somebody who won't ask questions. I just need content. Come on, man. Yep. He was like, All right. But I have like, I think 12 or 13 emails right now of either marketing agencies or like the internal teams for like different people, like reaching out to me, pitching me on why they should come on the podcast. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I think the reason that it's happening is because you're giving people a chance to tell their story. And I think a lot of people 
are kind of afraid to be vulnerable. And so when someone's able to do it, which is what I think happens on your podcast regularly, I think people relate to it. And they're like, man, I didn't know that person was going through this thing too, or that they had experienced this too. And I think that that's one of my favorite things about your podcast is that it is real people telling real stories about things that impact society today and the legacy of our society and the world that we create. And I think that those are really important stories to tell. So it doesn't surprise me at all that you've got people lined up doing that. Well, one, I just love the fact that you you, you give me good open-ended answers. I don't have to coach you on that. It's almost it. like I've worked in media for a little bit. Right? <laughs> well, that's a, the that's a thing I have to coach people on is like, you have so much more time than you think you do. Yeah. You have like, I tell people like 30, 30 minutes to an hour. Oh my gosh. You can tell your whole life story in excruciating detail. I think you um, want to be careful telling me that I can talk for a really long time. We both know how that will go. So well, well, word well, to the wise. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, but you know, good thing I have a hard stop in an hour. So there you go. There you go. You got a meeting. Uh, I'm going for a run with my dog afterwards. I promised him would go for, not that he understands me, but I promised him would go on a run. So I have a hard stop too. Uh, but you know, so we didn't get to do this because we didn't do the typical, as people can tell, how this intro happened. Um, my one thing I always tell folks is, if we can impact one person's life positively from the things we talk about today, mission accomplished. So that's always our mission. One person, one person at a time, change the world. But before we go on, who who's Taylor? Who's Taylor Hathorne? Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to Millennial Manhood. Thank Give you. us a 10,000 foot view. A uh, 10,000 foot view. I think that, you know, my name is Taylor Hathorne. Um, I currently work at Young America's Foundation here outside of Washington, D.C. But um, like any person in D.C. will tell you, someone's work is literally the least um, impressive thing about them. Um, and so, you know, I'm obviously happy to talk about work. I love what I do, but um, I would much rather spend time talking about, you know, things that both you and I are passionate about. But, you know, I'm a blonde haired, blue eyed girl from Texas who grew up in the Middle East. I think that that's probably the best way um, that I can describe how eclectic and odd I am. Um, really passionate about policy on both a um, national and a global scale and kind of the, the citizens that we choose to be in the world. I collect weird world leader memorabilia um, in my office. I love books uh, that I'm never going to read that I think I'm going to read uh, that I collect. Um, and, you know, I like music and, and COVID has been really annoying for me, um, which I guess is a little insensitive to say, because uh, I haven't, you know, been sick or anything, but um, I haven't gotten to go to a ton of concerts. And that has been brutal for me. Um, I'm usually at like one or two a week. So um, wow. yeah, that, that's about me. I've got I'm, I'm an older sister, I've got a younger sister, um, who is a nurse who is, in my opinion, awesome. Um, and I've got two younger brothers who are both the United States Marines. One of them just got back from deployment and the other one uh, just left for deployment a couple of days ago. And uh, my parents, I think, are the coolest people in the world. My dad has his uh, PGA Pro certification and uh, both of my parents wrote education curriculum in foreign countries. So they're super impressive people. Um, and I'm very proud to be born of them. Wow. Okay. Well, one hell of an intro. All right. Quickly, what's the weirdest memorabilia you've collected? Uh, um, nothing too weird yet. Um, I mean, I have an obsession with Margaret Thatcher. So I did get in a bidding war on eBay a couple of weeks ago over her life on Downing Street book. Um, 
she there was a first edition signed copy, and I am happy to report that I won that um, that competition on eBay. So that's probably the weirdest situation I've been in. But um, I, I look forward to collecting some really weird things. There's a guy um, who literally I, I don't remember where I met him but maybe at an event up here who collects uh, presidential locks of hair. And apparently there's like a very big market for it. And the people that do it seem relatively normal. I am never going to venture down that path of collecting because I'm not a hoarder, but apparently there's a really big market for it. Wow. Presidential hair. I was expecting something like, uh, uh, like Joseph Stalin's, Stalin's like wizard wand or something. Oh, I mean, obviously, I have to add that to the list. (laughs) Was he like into the cult or something like that? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not there yet. But I, I mean, as I um or continue to increase my revenue uh, stream, I hope to be able to start collecting more interesting things. So maybe the next time you have me on, I'll uh, be able to have some some cooler stories to tell you. That's going to be the name of the podcast: Joseph Stalin's Wizard Wand. I look forward to hearing about that one. There you go. There you go. Uh, that's how you get uh, kicked off of iTunes. Um, <laughs> so, all right. So, so I, I, there is a question that that is work related that I've been wanting to ask you. Yeah, cool. Okay, because we talked about how millennials give, and it is yeah. the season. It is December. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. I have on strong authority that millennials suck at every aspect of life, <laughs> and that they're the most selfish deprived jerks who have ever existed on God's green earth. Do millennials give? How do they give? What's important to us? I don't know. Tell me. So so I would like to uh, preface this by saying every generation has its quirks. Um, every generation is better at things than other generations are. Um, so do millennials give? Yes, they give. But how they give, I think, is the most interesting um, and reflective aspect of um, who millennials are. So millennials do give money, but they actually, interestingly enough, um, by and large, only give money to organizations and causes that also want their involvement. So one of the things that you see when you work in the fundraising and development world is that, um, you know, our parents' generation and our grandparents' generation were really good at writing and signing the check uh, to whatever, you know, church, ministry, you know, organization, fill in the blank that they um, were asked to give to. So they probably, you know, gave in more frequency. But when millennials give, um, they give to things that they are really passionate about. And they don't want to just write a check and be done with it. They really want to give, you know, the shirts off their back. They want to volunteer at whatever organization it's with, or they really want to have boots on the ground. So the best way to get millennials to give um, is to get them involved with something too. You will probably get their involvement before you get their money because they want to make sure that authenticity is on the table with whatever organization that they're involved with, because we're not stupid. You know, millennials are a lot of things, but we're not dumb. We are very inquisitive people and we don't take um, people at their word, you know, which sometimes isn't a good thing, but sometimes is a good thing because we make sure that with whatever we're involved in, you know, it's something that we want to put our names on. That's so interesting because I think about even in my own um, personal life. So there's two things my wife makes fun of me for. And one of them is, if anybody comes up and asks me for money, I'm probably going to give it to them. <laughs> and, and, and I always act like, yeah, I appreciate it. How he, how he or she had the courage to ask me like, go get uh-huh. your money, man. 
get your hustle on. And Tamara's like, you are just a sucker. Like, I hope no kid ever comes to our door like selling knives because you'll buy everything. And I'm like, yes, probably so. <laughs> um, so I'm very generous in that regard. I am hardcore skeptical of any organization. If I can't see your budget and where your money goes, you're not getting a dime out of me. See, that just proves my point, though. Like people, especially in our generation, like we want to know like what this money is being used for. You know, I'm not going to throw any organization under the bus. Um, I've worked with a few, whether directly or indirectly, that I've been like, "Mm, if I wasn't a part of this in one way or the other, I wouldn't be giving my money here. And so one of the things that we really push um, is transparency, you know, and, and that's not just with my, my job currently, but with like any, um, you know, any organization that I am on boards with, I'm like, man, just tell people what we're using it for. Like, if we have to keep it a secret, or if we have to be sneaky about it, we shouldn't be doing it. You know, we need to be open and honest, especially if you're going to get um, millennials and the younger generations to give money, they want to know what's up. They don't, they're not going to have the wool pulled over their eyes. Yeah, I mean, we've just, as a generation, have been lied to so much over and over and over and over again. Like, we mm-hmm. are the first generation that I go a lot into media manipulation on this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Several rants. But we are the most manipulated generation ever, I would argue. We came of age in a time before it was just so blatantly obvious. Yeah. It was, it was blatantly obvious to some people, but not completely. So Those guys you know, were wearing tin hats back then, though, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like... <laughs> It's like, I mean, I've talked about one of the organizations, like the Catholic Charities of West Tennessee. I love them. I love yeah. them because they helped my family when we came to the States as refugees. And you know what I get from them every year? A breakdown of their budget in the mail. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking for your blood type. Yeah, no. Or your social <laughs> security number. Yeah, no, I get yeah. it. Yeah, just it. give me something. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm proud to say that the organization I work with now does an incredible job of reflecting ROI um, and for you know non-business folks, that's like a return on investment. Um, We do, you know, we publish annual reports for our supporters. um, And most of the organizations that I've been involved with have have done that too. Um, You know, I know that higher ed uh, development gets a bad rap, but I mean, the College of Business, I think they do a good job with their donors um, talking about, um, you know, what the money was used towards and, and how their individual funds were reflected, at least on an endowment scale. So, you know, I mean, I, I completely concur with that. I, I feel like if you're not willing to tell your supporters what you're using their money for, I mean, and there's always going to be overhead, right? Like, I think it's ridiculous for some millennials who are like, I'm never giving to this organization because the CEO goes on too many flights a year. Well, you know what? The CEO is out recruiting top dollar donors to be able to make bigger gifts to make more of an impact. So I think in some regards, their complaints are a little bit silly on the the existence of overhead in the nonprofit world. Um, but I mean, should your CEO be flying first class to Aruba every two weeks? Like, no, no, that shouldn't be happening. But um, I mean, I agree. I think that um, we as a generation just really care about like honesty and integrity and, you know, um, a commitment to a shared sense of values for whatever organizations we choose to participate in. But I will say that sometimes my opinion is that millennials don't give as frequent, frequently because of the skepticism. When they give, they give passionately, but I don't think that they give often enough to causes that they really care about. I mean, how many of your friends do you know that like routinely 
give to their church or routinely give to the homeless ministries in their community? Probably not too many. And I feel like we've got pretty exceptional friends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I I do think, uh, yeah. And part of it is just getting older and having more money. Having money. Yep. You know, when we, when we were in our twenties or you're still in your twenties, but when I was in my twenties, um, at versus when the people coming up in the nineties were in their twenties, like, yeah, they had more or in their eighties, they had more disposable money in their budget because oh, yeah, they didn't have I, buy, loans. buying they didn't a house. Have... Yeah. Buying a house in DC is not even on my foreseeable bucket list anytime soon. So I completely empathize with that. But one of the things that I talk to my friends about and people our age is like, it does not have to be a massive, you know, thousand dollar gift. It doesn't even have to be a hundred dollar gift. A lot of these organizations, they, they need those $20 a year gifts. I mean, it would surprise you like how many organizations rely on smaller annual funding. I mean, just look at the, I mean, not that this is a good example of like integrity or good use of money, but look at the breakdown of the 2020 presidential election. How many of those gifts were, you know, under a couple hundred bucks uh, for, for both of the campaigns? I mean, it's, it's pretty astounding. So, I mean, my, I guess my plug for the nonprofit world to anyone listening is, you know, if there is a cause that you're really passionate about, um, you know, seek out organizations that that support that cause. You know, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is suicide prevention, just because of some things that I've experienced in my life, and especially um, in the military world. And so there's a organization called Mission 22 that um, reflects 22 veterans die by suicide um, a day. Um, and it's it's kind of insane. And so, you know, I encourage people to Think about, you know, write down the things that you really care about and that impact you, that impact your family and friends and just give to them a little bit and see, you know, how they steward your gift. See, you know, if they give you information about how you can help, because a lot of those organizations, they don't just need your money. They really do need your time. You know, they need you to volunteer at whatever soup kitchen. They need you to set up a booth um, because they don't have a ton of staff, you know, and they need someone to cover a conference for them. So really um, get involved and be passionate about the stuff that you're involved with. No, that's awesome. Well, and that's that coming a- from two former uh, SGAers, you know, and mm, people who are yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> involved well, in and- everything on college. Well, and okay, like former SGA and all that good stuff and, and, and the bubble that is school, but now you're in like the ultimate bubble. Yeah. You're, like in, you're in the bubble of bubbles. You're like in, in like freaking Narnia in DC. Yeah. Talk about a, that. It is a world in its own. Um, how to explain this area, uh, as I tap my finger on my forehead, um, DC has everything and nothing all in the same (laughs) place is the best way that I could explain this. I mean, the most intelligent, um, ambitious, incredible people work up here. But with that breeds a level of arrogance sometimes that is just not a flavor I enjoy having around um, people. You know, the first thing, the best way I can explain the city is the very first thing someone does at a party, you know, during non-COVID times would come up to you and shake your hand and be like, hey, man, uh, what do you do for a living? And you're just like, how about you start with my name? Or I like your shoes? Or, you know, what are you drinking? You know, whatever it might be. And I think that this city is just 
so big on who you know and what you can do for me, um, not what I can do for you, which is very untypical to who I am as a person. I really struggle with like that lack of um, authenticity that exists up here sometimes. So you know me, I'll do anything that I can to make a very normal situation uncomfortable for someone that does something like that. So I, I get a little bit of joy out of it. But you know, it's not, it's not all bad. I mean, everything that matters in the world, um, you know, or, or not everything that matters in the world, but everything that matters for the United States and the world kind of starts here. And I think that that's really, really exciting. You know, during non-COVID times, like there's a happy hour, an alumni or a networking event, an alumni event, you know, something like that happening every single day. Um, and it's it's really fun. It is really, really fun. But man, you got to be able to check yourself up here. It, it does not take much to get swept under the wing of um, being really full of yourself and it can happen real quick up here. Yeah, I can totally see that. I mean, I've enjoyed visiting DC. Yeah. Uh, keyword visiting like that. Those, those parts have been awesome. Like the historical aspects, the, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, the, the head of government, um, all those things have been incredible, but I don't know if it's something, like you said, it's the culture of like, everything's about who, you know, and what somebody can do yeah. for you. And it's like, Hey, there's not, I am all for, Okay, let's make this very clear. I'm Mr. Capitalist on this podcast. Yeah, I am for real. all for utilizing networks and relationships to make money because I've done that a lot over the years. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And I've reciprocated. However, if you can't actually like step out of that for a second and, you know, I don't know, like when somebody tells you that they're that their mom's sick and you actually be genuine about it and asking instead of thinking like, oh, here's yeah. like how I can care and then I can ask them for this. It's like, no, 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 just be a human. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I'm really big on is handwritten thank you notes. And I and I do it often. You know, I'm like a weird old soul that has my own stationery that I have printed up. Um, and I and I constantly write thank you notes. And it floors me when people are like shocked about that. You know, they're like, wow, you took the time to say thank you for a favor that I did for you. And I, I just that's one thing that I just don't think that exists enough up up here is that people will capitalize on relationships, but they won't really like pour into other people around them. And, you know, part of it's kind of not their fault. The culture that exists here is a very transient community. So, Mm. you know, it's not anything weird for people to only stay at a job for six to eight months. Like that happens constantly up here. It's not like, you know, where we're from, where you stay at a job for five, six years in our generation, but in our parents' generation, you know, 30. Um, It's not like that up here. So you have to be very intentional. And I mean, this is my advice to whether you live in DC or, you know, anywhere where you're not from originally, you have to be very intentional about developing a, a network of people who share um, the same values of building community that you do. I'm not saying be isolated and only hang out with people who are like yourself. That's, you know, ignorant and mindless. But I, I do think it's very important for people to develop the communities that they want to live in. And so if it's important to you to be genuine, be genuine and find people who want to be genuine with you. You know, I lead a, I lead a Bible study up here on Monday nights and I am always like, listen, we're vulnerable in this group. We're going to talk about stuff. Like when I say, you know, let's give prayer requests. I want your prayer requests. I want your bad relationship going on. I want, you know, a medical test that you're having that you're nervous about. Like I want us to be the one 
place in this city where something that you say is not going to be utilized against you. And you do up here, you got to be careful with who you say stuff to. You know, I, I mean, I've, my mom was a principal when I was growing up and she always told me, um, she always told me, um, if you don't want something, um, repeated, then don't write it down. And, um, I'm up here. I'm like, if you don't want something repeated, don't say it, (laughs) you know? So you've just got to be really careful, um, about that up here. But I mean, DC has its perks, you know, anyone and everyone want to come and visit me up here. Um, and I love having guests, you know, I love being able to show people the city. Like I mentioned earlier with my world leader memorabilia, I'm a massive history nerd, you know, I mean, I'm not going to remember all the dates and the facts, but like, I love soaking up information like that. And it's one of my favorite things in the world to just like get on one of the like bird scooters or whatever and like go ride around DC or walk around DC and just see some museums and things that I haven't seen before. And I don't think that that exists, you know, most places in the world. And because this is all government funded, it's free. So, you know, having, it's really cool to get to, um, to get to see and experience a lot of this. Well, let me, let me ask you this. So this is, I'm itching to ask this question because, so I grew up obviously outside the States until I was 10 and I had a constant battle my entire life of like what culture, where, and how do I fit in? You know, and I had that before I came to the States because I lived in Germany, which also is not my native culture. You are an American with American parents, but you grew up in the Middle East for many years and then came back to America how has that shaped your worldview in that sense? Like how has that shaped like Taylor, who she is today, working in DC, living in DC, not just DC, but in general. And did you ever find out where you fit in? Cause I'm still working on that. Yeah. Um, gosh, that I, I think that that question summarizes everything and every part of who I am as a person, you know, I mean, there's a, um, whenever I was in high school in Abu Dhabi, my high school principal and I were oddly good friends. I mean, in my office now, my graduation picture um, with of him and I is in one of the frames in my office because he had such an impact on my life. His name was Rob Godley, um, and he was Canadian and or is Canadian. Um, and he, you know, married an American. Um, and, you know, he talked to me or introduced to me for the first time this concept of a third culture kid. And it's like someone who, was born someone somewhere else that grew up somewhere else that had to assimilate in a different culture, you know? And so you're just constantly pulled all different ways, um, Interesting. you know, with who you are. And I, I, there is someone who wrote a book over this and I should have written it down before I got on the phone with you, but, um, it is about this concept of third culture kids and the way that they look at the world, um, the way that they view themselves and, the way we look at everything is with like a 10,000 foot view. You know, you're, I I would imagine you're much of the same way. Like I, I see people complaining about things in the States, you know, uh, maybe not minor things to them, but then I see on, on the next page, my friend from Palestine post that like their entire community got blown up, you know, the, the day before. And I, it just puts things into perspective for me that I don't, um, I'm not saying doesn't exist for everyone, but I, I think that I'm able to look at the world a lot differently. I mean, I it's no surprise to a lot of people. Like, I'm a, I'm from Texas. I'm naturally more conservative and and Republican, and I'm not afraid to you know say those things. 
But I, I think that I am a little more rare in the sense that like, I, I don't have blinders on on anything. I mean, anything. If you propose to me an alternative view on any subject, I'm going to go into that with the assumption that I am absolutely abhorrently wrong in my perspective. Um, and I don't think that that's something that I would have developed um, without having to challenge my own belief sets living overseas. I mean, I had one of the most interesting stories that I can tell people and a lot of people don't believe me when I tell them this, but I'm like, it 100% happened. I was in a modern world history class in high school. And the only date that our textbook went up to was like 1950, because the government had deemed the content of the book inappropriate. Mm -hmm. um, if you typed in the Holocaust on a you know, uh, Google, I guess Google or Safari or whatever existed over there, you would get like a big red X on your screen. You yep. couldn't find that, that access to information, that access to knowledge didn't exist, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to harp on the Middle East at all. I love them. I feel like that is my, you know, the UAE and, and Kuwait is my home away from home. And I feel like a huge part of me is still over there. Um, but, but back when I lived there, man, they weren't good at like sharing information. And it's actually kind of scary. Um, you know, we, when you were talking about like, you know, the limit being lied to and stuff, I, I grew up in a society where free speech wasn't like a thing you know, and um, access to information wasn't a thing. And so it's a little scary to me sometimes to see that kind of progressing here, that the idea of um, people knowing and saying less is some kind of benefit. Um, I think that that's just abhorrently untrue. And that's completely because of um, I got to see the results of what happens when people don't get to decide things for themselves. Um, mm. But yeah, that's, you know, I mean, that's just my, that's my opinion. I could be wrong. You know, I'm, I'm open to hearing other arguments, but I've just that's what I've experienced in my life. And I think it's so important for people to have access to information, to have all of the tools in front of them that they need to make a decision for themselves, to be responsible thought leaders in their communities and societies, and then and then have their form their own opinion, you know, getting something shoved down your throat. Um, I don't think is going to be beneficial for anyone in the long run. Yeah. And I'm allergic to having anything shoved down my throat from, yeah, uh, from any <laughs> source. Like I fight back so hard. So yeah. sometimes my wife is just like, just let it go. I'm like, no, these bastards are going to like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whoever's, yeah. whoever's trying to sell this propaganda to me is not going to win. But yeah, so, like, you're, like you have a responsibility to, I think, to your community, to yourself, to the people that are around you and to the people who agree with you and those that disagree with you to believe things. I mean, growing up in church, like I probably wasn't like the best, like young, uh, Southern Church of Christ person because I did I never took anything at face value. Like if somebody mm -hmm. said something, I was like, I'm looking this up because that sounds weird. You know, I'm I'm gonna do my due diligence because I want to know that I know what I know. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. So a couple of things I took away from that. One, apparently I'm a third culture kid. Uh, mm -hmm. did, didn't really realize that, but that makes total sense. Two, little fun personal family story. Um, I don't know if you've ever like heard any of the podcasts where I talk about some of my ancestors, but Chichamincho, my dad's uh, or my grandfather's uncle, he, um, my dad was a really good student in like middle school, elementary school, high school, yada, yada, yada. And he like came back one day in middle school and he was talking about this battle during World War II 
uh, that happened in Yugoslavia. And Chichamitra said, shut up, kid. You don't know what you're talking about. And my dad started arguing. was like, no, dude, like I got the best grades, yada, yada, yada. And Chichamitra was like, listen, kid, you know what they want you to know. You know what they've told you. I was there. That's not what happened. Mm-hmm. That was a very eye-opening moment for my dad in his development. Uh, But also something that I personally do, and I've talked about this in the podcast before, any major news story, I'll go read it in English from a couple different papers. Then I'll go read it in German from a couple different sources. Then I'll go read it in Serbian and Croatian from a couple different sources. By the end of it, you just then realize how full of crap these people really are. Uh, Yep. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I was a journalism major, you know, so I, um, I don't think that they're all bad. I think that there are some really good local news peeps that are, that are killing the game that are trying, but you know, it's really easy. And we see it up here in the beltway to get swept up in, you know, wanting to be the first person to tweet something or the first person to post something. Well, you know what, like, even if you post something and it's wrong and you offer an update later, no one is going back to your page to like, look at the second thing that you posted. They're going to believe the first thing you posted. And I think that, you know, these outlets and these people, you know, have a responsibility to be, you know, have integrity and to be authentic about the things that they post. And I don't think that everyone in media is bad. I've got really good friends who work in media who do a really, really good job um, at, at being authentic and having integrity. But I don't think that that's always the, the case. And I don't think it's the case with government. You know, I think it's, it pays to be a skeptic because if, if these entities are telling the truth and they end up surprising you and, you know, great, you learned something that day about, about trust. Um, but I, I mean, I kind of come from a perspective that I don't know anything and I need to do my own research on, on things. And it's just really interesting hearing your, your family story because I, I, you know, can resonate with that so well in in so many different regards. Well, and it's, Obviously, not everybody in, I guess I'm picking on journalism here. I wasn't even mm-hmm. really picking on that, but sure, let's pick on journalists. Not all of them are bad. Nope. It, it's, it's give and take in any of it. However, when I do go read a story in multiple different languages, one of you is lying to me because yep. you're talking about the same thing. Well, not all of us are smart enough to be able to read in, you know, six different languages. So just go ahead and showboat. <laughs> well, it's not a, it's not an intelligence thing. It's just a, <laughs> it's literally just a luck of a draw. But, but, but that's what I'm saying. Like somebody's lying. Yeah. And and not just somebody's lying in between languages. Within those languages, you read multiple sources and you're talking about the same thing. And you're telling me a completely different story. Yeah. So the reality of the situation is all of you are probably lying to some degree more or less. Well, what's, um, scary, what's scarier to me than even being lied to is people who may or may not be doing the lying. Um, do they even realize what they're doing at this point? You know, I, I mean, I think that that's a question that we all need to ask ourselves is, are we creating our own realities um, with the information that we share? Or um, do we not even realize that what we're lying about? You know, and I think that that's a question that will behoove a lot of Americans to ask themselves and people in the world, you know, with, with the sources and the outlets that they're trusting and not even just in media, but you know, like everything you see on Facebook. I mean, I think it's really, I'm, I, I hate to make myself sound like such a nerd, but like C-SPAN and Senate committee hearing meetings are like on my browser at work almost every day, you know? And I like, I, I'm a little embarrassed to say that, but like not really because instead of getting like the 140 character or 280, whatever Twitter is at right now, um, you know, assessment of something like I'm watching it happen. And I think that Americans really need, um, 
to pay attention to the fact that we are the freest society in the world who can hold our electors accountable um, for their actions. And so get involved in the process. You know, I mean, obviously, like I work at a 501c3, so we don't do politics here. But um, from my own personal standpoint, like, I am very nosy. I am the first person to call a Senate office and be like, yo, um, I'd like uh, any information that you have on this topic, uh, because I know they have to give it to me in many regards. And uh, it's my right to know as a citizen. And I just, that's like my one prayer for this country is that people stop, like people trust people, but that they stop taking things at face value. Like read, just read. Like I know that it is annoying and not fun and doesn't promote instant gratification, but just read and be accountable for like yourself and the things that you say. And I I think that we could see an incredibly different society if everybody chose to do that. Another thing that I struggle with personally when I think about this. So from like a political leaning standpoint, I'm like an oxymoron, just like wrapped in like political ideology, because if you go to that's like, perfect. I, am, I think that's the perfect way to be. <laughs> I guess. Like, except for the fact that I am doomed for all eternity to be in the minority forever when it comes yeah, to like well, any form of government. Like yeah. those I side with quizzes on uh on isidewith.com. <laughs> like what I what Are I'll you, like, do dead is, in the center. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's terrible. So like I will uh I'll I'll expand the questions and like go into as detailed of an answer as possible, and I'll do all like three hundred answers or whatever. And it just like like no candidate, candidate I, could, I would ever agree with would ever have a shot at anything. But then you can go to other countries and compare your results. And even in other countries, I'm always part of like the free democratic union of like blah, blah, blah in parliament. <laughs> One seat. And I'm like, shit. It's like if, I have, yeah, I have if no you, chance. If you, ever get, if you ever get a chance, look up Vernon Supreme. Maybe you'll be on board with some of his policies. The guy wears a boot on his head. <laughs> oh, okay then. So, so it's it's frustrating because like, I, I like again. I don't really have that much of a dog in the fight because my dog yeah. is never really represented, which is really de- depressing in a lot of ways. Um, so, but I, I, but I think it gives you an opportunity to like analyze things from a rational perspective, right? Like as objective and open as I try to be about my viewpoints, I still have an internal, you know leaning that like pulls me one way and I have to check myself quite often and be like, okay, I know inherently you want to feel X this way or, you know, X way about whatever this thing is. And I have to like force myself a little bit to be like, take off your blinders and just pay attention to what someone else is saying really quick and see if that's really what you believe. And I think that the way that you um, analyze things and look at situations, like you're kind of devoid of that um, handicap a little bit. You, you, you want my solution to how we fix America? I'm dead serious about this. Yeah, no, so I'm, I'm all ears. Okay. You can exchange these, but I'll just give two examples. Ben Shapiro and like Pod Save America. Okay. Those two <laughs> podcasts. All right. So Ben Shapiro, Pod Save America, or any other yeah. whatever conservative news source. Rush Limbaugh. I don't care. I just rush is like 90 years old. A month long experiment. Week, week one, you listen to only... Uh, or you listen to like, let's say Ben Shapiro first, and then you listen to Pod Save America every single day. Week two, yep. you you flip it every single day. Week three, you only listen to let's say Ben Shapiro, and then week four, you only listen to the the liberal option, and you keep mm-hmm. a journal the entire month of how your feelings and thoughts and leanings change based on which one you listen to first 
and which one you ignore, et cetera, and then analyze what has happened over that month. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think it's incredible. I think it's really, really, really good. I've thought about, I've got some friends who are kind of extreme on both the left and the right. (laughs) And I've thought about encouraging some of these folks to do that experiment, to show them their own self-manipulation. Because if you create an echo chamber, you've created a problem for yourself. Easily, easily. Um, And it doesn't mean that like your opinions are going to change. I think a lot of people are terrified to challenge their worldview um, for whatever reason and because they don't want to change their mind, you know, like whether they grew up that way, whether they feel it's more socially acceptable to believe that way, you know, whatever it is, they are scared to death to challenge that view. And so I think the problem with your solution is that it is a rational one. Um, It's a good solution. I think that it causes all of us to maintain a level of self-awareness that I think doesn't really exist um, in the era that we live in. I think it's a great idea. Um, There's also a podcast I listen to, um, not to, you know, send viewers away from yours by any means, which is the greatest podcast known to man, of course. Um, course, But there's a podcast from KCRW called Left, Right and Center. And they, I think it posts like once a week. um, And it literally, they're like 50 minutes long. And it shows the left side, the right side and the center perspective. And it has like a journalist or a policy wonk or whatever um, talk about those three sides and they kind of debate each other. And I listen to it routinely, especially on topics that I feel like I know for sure how I feel about. And I challenge myself and I'm like, okay, is that really how I feel? You know, is that really um, what my perspective and my opinion is? And I think it's done a lot for me, Um, you know, a lot for me to challenge my to challenge my perspectives on things. And if nothing else, you know, it gives me ammo um, whenever I'm trying to figure out how somebody else, you know, that might not agree with me believes so that I can understand them so that maybe I can figure out how to talk to them, you know? And I, I mean, I think your solution's a great one. Yeah. I wish I could, uh, I could, well, hopefully somebody listens to it on, I don't think I've ever mentioned it before, listens to it on this podcast and implements it. If they're, I, I cannot tell you how many conversations I have had with folks, whether they're, far left or far right, when they do expose themselves just to the other side, they stop thinking the other side is evil. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they do. Um, and I think it's, I mean, you know, my, the people that I'm friends with, I, my very best friend in in this entire planet, um, is, is very liberal. Um, and I try to keep a really good, healthy mix of people who believe differently than me, Um, because one, they still know my heart, right? Like I am who I am. Um, and I've got a good heart and my, I've got good intentions. Um, and they are also people who I believe have great hearts and who I know who they are and who that I believe have good intentions. And so whenever I find myself, um, you know, maybe discouraged by everyone thinking the way that I believe is, you know, fill in the blank X characteristic, you know, I I check with my friend and I'm like, Hey, this is my, my thoughts on a subject. Like, am I, am I wrong on this? Or maybe tell me like, tell me what I'm, what you think is different or could be done better about what I'm saying. And, you know, she's never stopped, uh, 
believing in my heart. I think it's really important to surround yourself with people who are different than you. Um, I think it's really important not to be told you're correct all of the time and to be challenged, but, you know, to maintain friendships with people who just have different perspectives. And maybe that's because I grew up, you know, with a graduating class of 86 people and there were like 50 different nationalities, you know, so we all believed, I mean, literally every single one of us believed something different. Um, and so it challenged me really to, to surround myself with people who aren't like me. I think people like me are boring. I think people that are exactly like me, like, why do I want to be around a carbon copy of myself? You know, and I, I think that if we would all just kind of get away from our computer screens a little bit and away from our keyboards and um, be willing to have some of those conversations. I mean, don't you remember, like, I mean, I know you came here, you know, you weren't born here, but. I know you probably remember whenever we were younger, people would be like, don't talk about politics, right? Like, don't, don't talk about race. Don't talk about, um, you know, finances. Don't talk about, you know, anything that makes people uncomfortable. Just don't talk about it. And I remember thinking that's stupid. (laughs) That's really dumb. Like if I, how am I supposed to learn anything if I'm not allowed to talk about it? Like, I don't want to grow up in my echo chamber of just me being me and believing what I believe. Like I want to ask some of my friends who are black, like, yo, what's it like living like you? You know, I want to ask my friends who are, you know, of a different sexual orientation than me, like, what are the things that you go through on a daily basis? What are your, you know, experiences on this? And I mean, you could scroll through my most recent text messages. um, And literally every single one of my friends are completely different. And so I think that, you know, we I'm not saying live your life like me, and you will uh, be happy because I definitely have my issues. But I think that we should all challenge ourselves, at least in this regard, to just be a little bit like more empathetic towards each other um, and get away from our keyboards a little bit. It's, I'm, gosh, it's been toxic lately. And I know I'm not the only one that agrees with that. Oh, yeah, it is incredibly toxic. And one of the things that my wife and I have talked a lot about is exposing when we have children, our children to um, just people who are different than them all the time, like going to different parts of the world and just helping them understand like, Hey, listen here. Uh, first of all, you're incredible, incredibly privileged just by the simple fact of who your parents are and the fact that you have two parents and the fact that you live in a certain income bracket that you will live in and all these other things. And Hey, uh, not everybody thinks, looks, feels, or exists on this planet the same way you do. Yeah. Um, and teaching them that from an early age to help them critically think, essentially always. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is like, th- this is one of the things that I think that we are kind of getting tripped up on in society now is that like, of course there are facts, right? Like there are irrefutable facts on things, but mm-hmm. people have different realities based upon the way they grew up. So a, a fact, you know, that the color, an apple, this apple is red, you know, like, yes, it is red, but the way that maybe the the reds that you grew up with in Zimbabwe, because there weren't, you know, a lot of trees and stuff around, looks different than the reds that Americans grew up with, with pesticides all in your food. You know, like, it, yes. it, the way that you approach um, a fact is different based upon the way that you grew up. And I think that it is beyond ignorant for people to be like, no, this is a, an irrefutable fact. Well, okay. Yes, it is. It, it might be, but like 
the way that people perceive that fact is completely based upon the way that they grew up and the, the worldview that they have. And I think that we all need to do a better job of just trying to put ourselves in each other's shoes and, you know, just chilling out for a minute and just trying to understand. It doesn't mean you got to change your mind, but just try to understand where someone else is coming from. And that's been happening for hundreds of thousands and whatever years. Like people try to see each other's perspectives differently. That's yeah. why debates used to happen helpfully. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sad we got a hard stop. I feel like we're just hitting our stride. I know. I know. Right. That kind of sucks. Part two. We'll do a part two. Um, of course. Okay. Anytime. So we are running up on time. So I got to ask you the question I always ask folks, even though, again, conversation has been awesome. But all right, we go back. And this is funny. I remember 18-year-old Taylor. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Wide-eyed. It's funny. I was actually, I was, uh, I was going through, um, I was trying to remember, like I was trying to get a hold of you or something. And I went through our, through our uh, messenger on Facebook. And there was like something from like a couple of years ago. And then like the next one was like from 2010. Yeah. Like, oh crap. Wow. <laughs> Way back. Um, wide eyed, bushy tailed. Yep. Freshman at the university of Tennessee. One yep. piece of advice, knowing what you know now and knowing what you know about yourself, what's one piece of advice you give yourself? Hmm. To be intentional about the relationships that I had and the things that I was involved in, you know, I will forever say that I am the best at uh, doing everything at once. Um, no one, I believe, is able to multitask the way that I can. But because of that, I think um, I sacrificed being really good at one, two or three things. You know, I've always been like, you know, growing up, I was never the person who like was destined to be a star soccer player or who was a great gymnast, but I was like decently fine at everything that I did, yeah. you know, which made me a little well-rounded. Um, but, you know, I, I wish that college, I, I wish I would have taken some advice from high school Taylor in college and just focused in a little bit more on, uh, one or two things that I really cared about and made a true impact. Because, you know, I, I, I feel like my biggest impact from college was like the relationships that I made um, and the fact that I'm very serious about maintaining those still. Um, you know, I, I, um, I try really hard to make sure that the people in my life feel valued. I am garbage at texting back. Um, but whenever I call you, I will have a four hour phone call. Uh, with you. But I, I think that that's one of the things that I probably would have just done a little bit different is committed myself a little more to, you know, two or three things that I, I was really passionate about. Mm. That's, I don't think anybody said that so far. So good job there. Good you know me, I try to be unique. <laughs> mm, all the, all the, all the special snowflakes uh, yeah. of Taylor, all the uniqueness. Um, well, Taylor, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Seriously. This was fun. Of like course. this. Of yeah, I'm happy to happy to talk. I'm happy to talk to you anytime. And you know, I'll keep listening to the podcast. And, you know, I, I really hope everyone has like a safe and merry Hanukkah Christmas, whatever you celebrate. And that, you know, whether you're seeing family on zoom or in person that people just really um, use this time of year, especially this year to recognize um, how important family and friends are. I think that that's been one of my biggest takeaways from this year is that the only impact that really matters uh, for any of us on this earth are the people that we affect. And so I hope that uh, we all choose to positively affect the people in our lives the next month or so. Yes. Positively impact people for real like that. That Yes. that I mean, that's probably the best way to end the pod. Yes. Yeah, Folks, manhoodpod.com. 
check out the check out the website i'm revamping it so if you want to find episodes there manhoodpod.com i'm very excited about that uh about that url had to snatch that from somebody uh had been like stalking it and i was like oh my gosh it expires it expires november 2020 can i get it and i did um so info at mmcip.co if you want to get a hold of us compliments constructive criticism as always constructive criticism means you've got to offer a solution don't just complain outside of that we'll talk to you guys soon